So here we are, Revelation chapter 5, and we are going to see the one who is worthy, or as we actually will read here, worthy is the Lamb. There's this legend that says that this lady, I, I, I think it was back in uh, New England, uh, she went to an ice cream shop. And it was an ice cream shop that some say Paul Newman was known to frequent. And uh, for those of us who are old who remember Paul Newman, anyways, he used to be somebody famous, and now his face is just on salad dressing. But, um, but half of you know the salad dressing. Um, so anyways, she walks into it, and you know, he's old blue eyes, and handsome movie star that he was, and she goes to this ice cream shop, and she orders her ice cream, and she's puzzled. And she she gets giddy like a like a junior hire would. <laughs> Paul Newman, you know, that kind of thing. So she sees Paul Newman face to face and she's all like she kinda of freaked out. Right? She she leaves and she gets to her car and she realizes she was so wound up she forgot her ice cream. So she goes back into the shop to get her ice cream. There's Mr. Newman again and he, he this time he greets her. He, stands there, and she realizes the ice cream's missing. It's not there. The clerk doesn't have the ice cream. No, you took the ice cream. Mr. Newman looks at her and says, uh, look in your purse. She, went, she got so startled, she put the ice cream in her purse. Now, I don't know if the story's true. I checked it on Snopes today. I have friends that have been saying it for years, and Snopes says they believe it. It's just some legend that got created. But I do know this. We are going to see the Lord face to face. We're going to see Him right now in Revelation chapter 5. And listen, it's way better than seeing Paul Newman face to face. And um, and, and I don't know. Uh, I mean, can you imagine seeing Jesus face to face? That, will that not be awesome? That is going to be awesome. So remember where we left off. Revelation chapter 4, what did we see? We saw a door standing open in heaven. John is told, come up here. And what did he see? That door standing open in heaven. And John the Apostle, chapter 4, now chapter 5, he is our tour guide. And in chapter 4, he took us inside past the door of heaven. And you might remember what we saw. We saw God on the throne. We saw what looked like Jasper and Sardis and a rainbow around the throne. We saw lightning and we heard thunderings and loud voices. We saw astounding things. That was chapter 4. And now we enter into chapter 5 and we are still in heaven. And we are going to still see astounding things. So we begin here in chapter 5 verse 1. Y'all ready? Okay. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written. And on the back, sealed with seven seals. It was written inside and on the back, both sides of the scroll, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll, or to look at it. Wow, let's stop here for a few minutes and look again at verse 1. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside 
and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Well, this is the mysterious scroll. There's lots of, of opinions on what this scroll actually is, and we're going to get to uh, answer that uh, in, in just a few more minutes. But for reasons that we're going to see when we get to chapter 6, some people say it's the Doomsday Scroll. I kind of like that name. It's kind of scary, isn't it? But we're going to see why some refer to it as the Doomsday uh, Scroll in a few minutes. Uh, in fact, we're going to see the details of it when we get to chapter 6, because it's in chapter 6 where the seals of the scroll begin to open. In fact, it's chapter 6 when you get to the sixth seal of that scroll that's open that movies are written about that sixth seal and all kinds of things have been written on different TV shows about the sixth seal. That's what's referred to, the sixth seal on the scroll that has seven, uh, seven seals. But nevertheless, I want to answer some questions. And uh, of course, we're going to look at what is the scroll, what's on the scroll, and that sort of thing. There's going to be ten questions we're going to be looking at. Uh, the first one is this. Uh, the obvious question is, who is worthy? Note where this question comes from. In verse 2, John observes an angel that says, who is worthy to open the scroll and to unloose the seal? So you have God on the throne holding the scroll, right? God the Father. The angel says, who is, uh, who is worthy? Not just anyone is qualified to legally open a sealed document. This is sealed. So the first answer, it devastates John. Because he's wondering, who is worthy? And no one in heaven, verses 3 and 4, or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look at it. So verse 4, John says, So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. Right? Let's move on before we get the answer to that. Number two, another question. Why does John have such a strong response? No one was worthy, so I wept much. This verse literally means he kept on shedding many tears. It means he wept and he wept and he wept. It's almost uncontrollable grief. But why? John doesn't yet know what is in the scroll on the inside of it or on the back. So why is this such a big deal to him? In chapter 1, verse 10, we're able to figure out this much. John says, I was in the Spirit. So John is, spirit, is spiritually being influenced by the Lord and by the angels that are there, and these angelic beings. So he knows there's something profoundly spiritual, something either radical in judgment or just radical in the glory of God but whatever it is he knows that this is something that he has never witnessed before and he senses the book's profound importance on a spiritual level I was in the spirit ten questions I said we're moving right through this you ready number three so what is the scroll well I'm not going to get to the entire answer quite yet because I want you to stay till the end but what is in the scroll? Scripture never specifically identifies it, yet it's obviously important. So let's just reason through this. The answers people have given. Uh, a possibility, it, rep it, is, it is or represents the Old Testament. Well, the problem is the Old Testament isn't sealed, right? Okay, so here's another possibility. That it is the prophecies of the Old Testament. Well, that's a little bit problematic because... 
uh, the prophecies of the Old Testament are no longer sealed. In fact, if you were to think about the prophecies of the Old Testament, a lot of them were filled, fulfilled in ancient history. Right? But, but, and even if you think of Daniel, some people will equate it to Daniel in Daniel chapter 12, where Daniel is told when he sees what is coming at the end, uh, the angel tells Daniel to seal up the words of the book. Could this, therefore, excuse me, be the scroll that is sealed, what Daniel saw? Well, no, because in Daniel chapter 12, you go on to read that it's sealed up until the time of the end. And at the time of the end, Daniel chapter 12, the wise are going to be able to figure it out. The wise are going to look at the Old Testament prophecies and go, oh, wow, we are living in those days. I believe we are that, that people that are able to look at things that are going on and say, okay, we are living in those days. Also, uh, think of this. So Daniel was told in Daniel chapter 12 to seal up the words of the book, the prophecies of the last days. Um, but you come to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation comes from a Greek word, apocalypsis, and it means an unveiling or a revealing. When you come to the book of Revelation in the day that we live, it makes a whole lot of sense. You can connect the dots on all sorts of things, from the mark of the beast to the, the coming new world order and a whole lot of things that are in between. The book of Revelation makes sense. So uh, this is it's a different scroll. That's not what it is. Here's another possibility. Some people have said this scroll that's sealed with the seven seals is the Lamb's book of life from Revelation chapter 21. But the problem is, why would, when you get to the point of unsealing the scrolls, why would the unsealing of the scroll then su cause such great judgments to come upon the world? So it's not the Lamb's book of life. There's something else going on with the scroll. Consider, for example, that this scroll has seven seals, and as each seal is loosed, it is another judgment. In fact, the first four seals, you get to, you begin in chapter 6, verse 1, and you enter into the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You ever hear of the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Something else movies have been made of. Um, so the first four seals are loose. It's the first four horsemen of the apocalypse. So as each seal is loose, it is another judgment. So considering these things, um, seals indicate that it is a legal document and can only be opened by an authorized person. Therefore, the angel says, who is worthy? And John says, there is no one that's worthy, he realizes, and he begins to weep. It has to be an authorized person. What else? Uh, there's writing on both sides of this scroll, inside and out. This is unusual for a scroll. Scrolls where there's writing on both sides are unusual enough so unusual that they have a name. This is the name of a scroll that's written on both sides. Can you say that word? That is a tough word. Epistographs. You know how I know? Because I pulled out my smartphone earlier and I went through pronunciations and I can't, there were like 20 different pronunciations of that word. So I, I just gave you the only one that I can actually say that doesn't get too tongue twisted for me. In fact, it was really funny when I went through this word, epistographs, how do you say that? Um, it, it, it gives you an option after you go through the pronunciation. It gives you an option to list the difficulty of pronouncing the word. So I listed it at the top of difficult words. That's just not a word I usually keep in my 
vocabulary, because I'm usually not dealing with a scroll that's written on both sides, unless I happen to be in Revelation chapter 5. And then I am. So that there's writing on both sides of the scroll indicates that the scroll contains a large amount of information. There's a lot there. What else? Well, writing on both sides also symbolizes completeness. Nothing else should be added. Aha! That makes me think of something. You know what it makes me think of? Revelation, chapter 22. You know these words? End of the book of Revelation. For I, verse 18, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Wow. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Ouch! So this scroll is written on both sides, symbolizing completeness. Nothing should be added to it. It would be very unwise, unless you want the plagues of the scroll added to you personally. I don't think you do, do you? Okay, let's go on. Moving right through this. Question number four. Have we seen a scroll before? Yes. All right, back to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12 is a, a passage about the future. Verse 1 of Daniel chapter 12 talks about the great tribulation. Verse 2 speaks of resurrections. Verse 3 is about God's righteousness and eternal, His righteous and eternal kingdom. Now, I already quoted from Daniel chapter 12, but let me show it to you here on the screen. Give you the exact quote. Daniel is told, Daniel chapter 12, beginning of verse 4, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of then. And then he said to Daniel, the angel said to Daniel, Go your way, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Wow. So what do we find in God's hand when John is being shown the last days? Right? A sealed scroll. Okay. So we've seen scrolls before in the Bible. Daniel, but also here. Now consider this. Before we move on, this is really speaking of, in Revelation chapter 5, in the scroll, it really speaks of God's sovereignty. God created all things. Now follow with me a minute on this. Uh, creation is His work and His property. His sovereignty is natural and an unavoidable outcome of His omnipotence. Uh, omnipotent being all-powerful. He is the all-powerful one who is sovereign over all things. And I'm going to take it a little bit further. Understand this. He is sovereign over you. He's sovereign over everything that is in this created world. Um, he's sovereign over the food that you eat. Everything we have, if you can think of it this way, everything you have belongs to God. Um, the food you eat, even if you grew it. You realize that? I, I love to garden. Vegetables, fruit trees, I love to do it. But you know what? I didn't make the seed. All I did was get a seed and water it, or get a plant and water it. That's all I did. So when I say, look what I grew, that's kind of 
that's kind of arrogant, isn't it? It's like all you had to do is go out there and water. And in fact, just turn on the timer, put, you know, put some batteries in it. And the God is sovereign, right? Did you create the seed? Did you create the water? Uh, the soil? Did you create, all right, did you create the black Angus steak that you had for dinner? How about that carne asada? This is how the carne asada works. This is how the black Angus works. You saw it walking on four legs one day. And then one day it showed up on your plate. And you ate it. You didn't make, you didn't make the animal. We didn't do any of that. You may have cooked a meal. That is a far cry. That is a far cry from creating anything. Well, everything we have is from the Lord. When we die, naked we came into this world, naked we are going out. Because we only borrow these things. Our body, <coughs> you can understand this, our body is a borrowed body. He gave it to us. He lets us use it. But we're going to die. We're going to go into the ground. We're not, understand this, we are not a body with a soul. Yes, we are. No, we are not a body with a soul. Our soul goes into eternity, but our body is, is all borrowed too, so it's just going to turn to dust, right? Uh, this is what we are. We're not a body with a soul. You know what we are? You guys are good. Wow, we are a soul with a body. God gave us this here. And, and you know, some people, they think, ooh, look at my body, ooh, or look at my, you know, all this kind of stuff. Wait a minute. You know, this is, this is all from God. The air we breathe is from God. It's on loan to us. Um, I, I, I look at this. God is sovereign. Everything we have is on loan from Him, and uh, He's going to take it all back. Right now, Satan has some authority. But God still remains sovereign. And he presently allows Satan a great deal of authority in this world. Uh, for reasons that have to do with the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, Satan is now therefore, uh, in, a, in a very real sense, he's running this world, right? Uh, how do we know that? Well, the Bible tells us this. Jesus himself says, John chapter 12, verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Right? Also, Paul tells us in Ephesians, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. He's saying that's Satan. The prince of the power of the air waves, if you want to take it into the century in which we live. And you would certainly say, you know, that certainly seems like a mess. Like a, a reality. The prince of the power of the air. The prince of the power of the air waves. Consequently, things are a mess. With the devil in charge, uh, what's the world like? It's terrible. And I'm going to tell you, and people do not like this from me more than anything else. Things are going to get worse. And I, I, I almost hate saying that because it bothers so many people. Um, but I am, I'm, a, I, I'm a truth teller. And, and sometimes I actually ask God, can I just give a happy message about this, this stuff? Um, the reality of it is that everything is, everything is going this way. And um, Satan has some authority. 
But God is sovereign. And I do know this, the Lord Jesus is coming back. And we're going to watch all of this play out in just a couple more minutes. But I want you to consider this. This is the direction everything is ultimately going. Revelation chapter 11, verse 5, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever and ever. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And not only that, what else does Jesus do? Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, Behold, I make all things new. Listen, this world is messed up. And you can tell, has it gotten better? Let me ask you this, because I get, I get people bothered, so bothered by this. But you guys obviously show up on Sunday nights. People who watch on video, they can handle it too. But I get so bothered by this. How many of you have been alive since 1940? Has the world gotten better? <laughs> How many of you have been alive since 1950? 1960? 1970? 1980? Okay, has it gotten better? Anybody? Has it gotten better? Alright. How many of you can say that in the last 10 years, things have gotten better? How many of you can say in the last 2 years, things have gotten better? How many of you would say in the last 5 years, things have gotten worse? Okay, there we go. Um, this is what the Bible describes. But Jesus says, I am coming back. I am going to make all things new. Okay, so I still have an answer what's in the scroll, right? Exactly what it is. And I'm still not going to. Because as I mentioned, I need to keep you here until the end. So next question is this. What is the purpose of the breaking of the seals? This is when everything starts to come together. Remember? Seven seals on the scroll. Now think of this. All right? The book of Revelation depicts the world's journey from what we know now to a point in the future when Christ makes all things new. Revelation chapter 21. He showed you that, right? To go forward, think of this. With this redemptive plan, that is to get to the rest of the events of the book of Revelation, the seals to this scroll must be opened. What's that mean? To get forward from where we are today to the millennial kingdom when Jesus returns and rules and reigns, He returns at the time of Armageddon, wipes out, throws the Antichrist and the false prophet into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. And then Jesus rules and reigns from Jerusalem and we rule and reign with Him. We're going to see that in a minute. For that entire thousand year millennial kingdom, it's going to be awesome. But for us to get from here, where we are right now, to the millennial kingdom, guess what has to happen? There's no other option. The seals of the scroll must be unsealed, and the events following through the unsealing of the scroll must all take place exactly as the book of Revelation lines out, or we will not get to the millennial kingdom. It must happen. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. 
Revelation chapter 1, opening verse, book of Revelation, opening verse of the book of unveiling, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. Jesus is going to rule and reign. There is no way Jesus is going to let the prince of the power of the air run the world forever and ever and ever. It is not going to happen. God is sovereign. God owns all things. And because of this, when you start to understand the scroll and the seals, you realize it has to happen. Everything that is happening, all of the bad stuff that we are starting to witness Everything is going to transgress and go further and further down that path. And then the seals are going to be open. And it's going to get really, really ugly until we get to the millennial kingdom. But it must take place because God is the sovereign one. And God is going to put the enemy in his place. And it is all part of it. To get to the rest of the events of Revelation, the seals to this scroll must be open. All right? Make sense? Okay, because I hear all the time these things are just symbolic. No, these things must take place to get to the millennial kingdom. Number six, sixth question. So what then is the scroll, since I haven't even answered it yet? The scroll must somehow represent the plan of ultimate redemption. That will culminate in the eternal reign of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit over all creation. Again, the seals must be open in order for the redemptive plan to come about and Jesus rule and reign from Jerusalem. Here's the neat thing. Not only is that cool, but guess what? We see from the last part of chapter 5, we'll get there, that this reign includes us also. We reign too. In fact, as the Bible says, as priests and kings with God forever and ever and ever. And Revelation chapter 20, verse 6 says this. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Are you saved? Are you in Christ? Then this is speaking to you. So if, if he here would also be she, all right? He and she, okay? So you're all good if you're saved. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Think of the rapture. Over such, the second death has no power. That's the second death is speaking of, uh, of the um, a judgment because you're not a believer in Christ and you're going to experience uh, the hell forever and ever and ever, right? So again, it says, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they, this is us, shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with Him a thousand years. That's speaking of the millennial kingdom. Priests and God with Christ. We are going to be ruling and reigning with the Lord Jesus Christ for a thousand years in the millennial kingdom. You know what the millennial kingdom is? It's that time that I believe Hemet's going to look a lot like heaven. That bumper sticker you see about Hemet being heaven? You got one of those coffee mugs that says Hemet is heaven? Eventually, uh, eventually, that millennial kingdom is going to be pretty nice. Don't sell your house yet. Stay right here. <laughs> Rule and reign with Christ forever and ever and ever. That is just awesome. Man, 
What else? Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary indicates this, that the title deed, the, the scroll, is the title deed of man's inheritance. Now that makes sense when you start thinking we are ruling and reigning with Christ forever and ever. Man relinquished his legal right to earth in the Garden of Eden. When Adam sinned, this God kicks him out of the garden, you're basically done. Satan becomes the prince of the power of the air, right? But God did not. God still owns everything. God could defeat Satan with the flick of a finger at any time, but He doesn't do that for our sake, for the sake of human redemption. Look again at verse 4. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look at it. When no one was found worthy to open the scrolls, John's upset. But we will see in chapter 6 that the seals are full of all sorts of judgment on the earth and the terrors of mankind. The seals represent the gauntlet that must be run in order to give birth to the new world. Bless you. In order to give birth to the new world, right? So think of it, the, the millennial kingdom that's coming, right? Think of it like this. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus was talking about the wars and rumors of wars and nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom and and earthquakes in various places, and the rise of pestilence, he goes on and says, this is the beginning of sorrows. That term, beginning of sorrows, was a term of pregnancy, of a woman who is pregnant. And we know from Paul's writings also that, um, that these things that come upon the earth are like birth pains upon a pregnant woman. So, so we get the, the context of all of this. It, it's like this. All of these things are happening. The travail, the earth is travailing. We are just starting the travail right now. I do believe, I don't believe we're in the tribulation yet. Don't get me wrong. But I believe what we are witnessing, man, the birth pains are picking up, right? Starting, they're starting to happen. When the tribulation begins, it's, that woman's going to have a baby. Right? You hear Mother Earth before? At that time, you can say it's Mother Earth. Mother Earth's about ready to give birth. Here, here's the thing. The birth pains increase, frequency and intensity, just like a woman who's going to have a baby literally there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and even before that there's going to be the millennial kingdom this earth in a sense is going to give birth to a new planet so we are witnessing these events taking place even though the seals seem terrible right we're going to have a new birth you got to think of it like that again jesus says revelation 21 when you have the new heaven and the new earth behold all i make all things new right even though the seals seem terrible, they're taking the world down a road towards something absolutely amazing. But with that, we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to have the millennial kingdom. Behold, I make all things new. But with all that, who is truly qualified to unleash God's judgment on earth? Who is without sin? If you know Jesus, then you know who is. Verse 5. But one of the elders said to me, so John says, who's going to do this? Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its, its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And then he came 
and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So this answers the question of who is worthy. Who is worthy? The Lord is the one who is worthy. The Lion of the tribe of Judah and the Root of David. Where does this come from? Genesis chapter 49. Judah is a lion's whelp. Right? This is a messianic prophecy about the Messiah who would be born. We know him as Jesus. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion who shall rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Right? The ruler, he is king nor a lawgiver between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh is another uh, term for the Messiah. He's also the root of David, we're just told here in Revelation. There shall come forth a, from, a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be Glorious. Who's Jesse? It says root of Jesse here. Jesse was David's father. So that's what's going on here. From the line of the tribe of Judah, from the root of David. Now think of this. If you understand the life of David. David was a warrior. David was king too. David, the Bible tells us, was a man after God's own heart. But David made some serious mistakes. Serious sins. But God still loved him. Isn't that beautiful? You can be a sinner that really messes up and God will still forgive you. Uh, that's good news because this whole world is full of sinners and God forgives sinners. I praise God for that. Um, David wanted to build God a temple. God said, David, you're not going to do it. You are a man with blood on your hands. You killed people that you weren't supposed to kill. However, David, even though you're not going to build me a temple, I'm going to do something. I'm going to one-up you. This is another beautiful thing with God. You think you're going to do something so special for God, right? But you're a sinner. And God, okay, so God, listen, okay, you're not going to do that. So you have this dream you want to have, right? Or you want, you want to do something. You're thinking, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. I want to do it for God. And then, and then it, it doesn't happen. And you're, you're reminded of your sin. And you're, you're down and you're cast down. Oh, Lord, I'm not going to do that. And then out of the blue, God one-ups you big time. And He does something for you that you never even imagined that He would do. He says, no, you're a sinner. This is an area where you have a problem with, so I'm not going to use you there. I'm going to do something absolutely remarkable. And He will do, as the prophet Jeremiah said, He will do great and mighty things through us that we do not yet even know. That's what happened with David. So David is told by God, you're not going to build me a temple. But this is what he says, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. Your house, David, and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. What was that? God said to David, David, you ain't building me no temple because you've messed up. In an area you can't mess up and build me a temple. I'm going to do something far better. Through you, David, is going to be a temple not built with hands, a temple that lasts forever and ever and ever. In you, David, I am going to establish my throne. Through you, David, the Messiah is going to be born. That is nuts. David, you have blood on your hands. You're not going to build me this, but I'm going to one-up you, man. Through your lineage. Yeshua. I mean, God works, I don't know, I look at that, and for me, that, gives, that makes the hair on my back stand up. Was that kind of gross? <laughs> Yeah, it was. Admit it. It was gross. Number seven, we're almost done. 
So what does it mean that Jesus prevailed to open the scroll? These are all going to go pretty fast. Jesus came into the world, was tempted by Satan, lived a perfect life, was crucified, laid down his life for our sins, and he rose again. He prevailed over sin. By removing power of sin, he defeated death and the grave. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, Hades, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Enter Jesus, heaven's champion and our champion. Verse 6, I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Having seven horns, seven eyes, seven spirits of God, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all of us. Wow. The elder just told John that the lion of the tribe of Judah is going to lose the scrolls. So John turns to see a lion. Now what's he see? A lamb. Imagine. Whoa, what's that all about, right? But more specifically, a lamb as if it had been slain. Jesus is both the lion and the lamb. The lion represents his authority and majesty, but in humility, he comes again at this moment in history as the Lamb of God. And more than that, he appears here as the Lamb who has been slain. He died on the cross for our sins. And in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, the Bible calls him the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world as he made redemption available to all of us. Now, I want you to understand this. John sees him as the Lamb who was slain, the Lion and the Lamb. The only work of man that will be in heaven is the, is the marks that were on Jesus of his crucifixion. The lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Those are the only marks of man that are going to be in heaven. The only works of man. Your good works aren't going to get you into heaven. The only work that gets you into heaven is Jesus who was slain from the foundation of the world. I look at that and I think, I think um, imagine we're going to have these bodies that are incredible. And Jesus, we're going to see him slain as a lamb who was slain. That is forever and ever and ever. Wow. Number eight. We'll get through these in a couple of minutes. What does incense is the prayers of the saints mean? Look at verse eight. Um, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So what does that mean? Well, this indicates something astounding and wonderful. In heaven, the prayers of God's people are never forgotten. Uh, this verse pictures them as being kept, but they're not stored in covered containers. They're put in open bowls so that their fragrance fills the air. In, in that sense, they are ever-present and never forgotten. Listen, God never forgets our prayers. you understand that? He never forgets them. And sometimes we feel like God doesn't hear our prayers or God doesn't care. We're going to get to heaven and we're going to realize, wow, our, our prayers are here. There's this incense full of our prayers. Don't stop praying. Do not stop praying. God works through our prayers to, to move in this world. And sometimes we don't get the answer that we want to a prayer and the timing that we want. So we take the matters into our own hands. We might not verbally say it, but essentially we're saying, God, you're not moving fast enough, so let me do this. And then you find out three years after you've been doing that, it ain't going nowhere. Like, trust in your prayers. Man, I, I cannot tell you how much I need God's help. We need God's help. 
We really do. But I want to show you one other thing before we move on, because we are really almost done. Because the rest of the verses, I'm going to go really fast through. But I want to show you this, all right? So you have these prayers in heavens, in, in the heaven that are incense. In Psalm 56, listen to this, right? I'm going to read this to you. Be merciful to me, O God. This is the Psalm of David. Uh, for a man would, would swallow me up. Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My enemies would bound me all, would hound me all day. For there are many who fight against me, O Most High. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? All day they twist my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together, they hide, they mark my steps. When they lie and wait for my life, they shall, shall they escape by iniquity and anger cast down the peoples, O God. You number my wanderings. Listen to this. Put my tears in your bottle. Are my tears not in your book? When I cry out to you, uh, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. In God I will praise His word. In the Lord I will praise His word. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I, I, I like that. You know what you see in there? Two things. You see prayers. You know what else you see? Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not all in your book? God saves our prayers. God, I look at this. Do you, you ever... Certainly you have. You're alive, you've had. You've had your heart broken over various things. And you cry and you cry and you cry. Uh, from the time you're a little kid, when, when something goes wrong, to when you're an adult, you lose somebody who's close to you. And you wonder if God remembers anything. We have this picture of God in heaven. Our prayers are like incense. And um, our tears, He keeps in a bottle. They're written in a book. When we get to heaven, we're going to realize, God, kept all of these. What can man do to me? God, you are on the throne. All of this uh, is about the, the reminder of who God is and His glory and His goodness. Let's get to the end. Verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Verse 11, And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Wow, I love that. Worthy is the Lamb. Question number nine, how many are there in heaven? And I don't know. <coughs> 10,000 times 10,000 times thousands and thousands and thousands? Here's the thing. 10,000 was the largest number used in Greek at that time. Uh, it, it's innumerable. The number includes all the good angelic beings and some commentators say that this also includes all those who have been raptured and all those who have been raised from the dead. But here's the thing. The last and most important question is this. With all of this, we put it together, is number 10. Where will you be, right? Will you be in the presence, singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain 
to receive power and glory, power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Will you be with the multitude? Every creature, verse 13, which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, I heard them saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever and ever and ever. So where will you be? Right? Where will you be? Look at this. Please look at this. Therefore, and we're going to close here, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. Right? And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So here's the deal. Where will you be? Right? Every single tongue will confess. There are those who will be here confessing Him in His glory and power and majesty forever and ever and ever as they confess Him unto their salvation. There are others who are still going to confess Him as being the holy and righteous one, but they're confessing Him unto their damnation. There's some who will confess Him as they are in heaven. There's some who will confess Him. They're still going to say, You are Lord. To their horror. Because they refuse to ask Christ to forgive them of their sins. And so we're going to close out here with worship. And we're going to have some men and women down here to pray with you. I'm going to tell you something, alright? Jesus is coming. The Bible is true. There's no other name under heaven by which you can be saved. I'm going to tell you right now. If you have not asked Christ to forgive you of your sin. If you have not repented of your sin. Then when you die... You will confess Jesus as Lord to your horror because you didn't confess Him as your Lord here. But if you ask Christ to forgive you here, when you die, you will confess Jesus as the one who forgave you of your sins as King of kings and Lord of lords, and He will say, Welcome home, good and faithful servant. Come on into the presence of the Lord forever and ever and ever.